We generally have impressions or microchakes of people when we first meet them, observe what they are doing, or getting to know the person. The media is so good at portraying the celebrities that we see in such a way that we feel like we just know heaps about them, and it leads us to having an opinion of them. How many times have we heard that Johnny Depp is going to make another Pirates movie? I'm not against that, but come on, another one? He's a good actor. He needs to do other stuff. <laughs> or Paris Hilton and the shenanigans she just gets up to. Shenanigans. Or any politician. <laughs> or any politician who breaks a promise because they can't keep it. <laughs> did you see what I just did? I have been presented with three different people and I've been given an impression of them based on what I've heard, seen, or read. The first was that I accept Johnny Depp is a good actor, but to do more pirate movies is kind of the same old, same old stuff. Paris Hilton, you just turn on the news, and she's probably living the high life, or she's in jail. Politicians? Enough said. <laughs> I want to show you tonight that we can also have an impression of Jesus by what he says and what he does. So, the big question that we are going to answer is, what is Jesus here to do? We'll answer that question by going through three different possibilities of what Jesus is here to do from the passage we just read. And we'll also see the response of the people and then finally of Jesus. The first possibility we'll deal with is, is he here to heal people? Is he here to be a doctor? Let's read from verses 38 to 40 of chapter 4. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. I want uh, two things to notice here. Jesus heals as part of his ministry, but a second is weird in that he rebukes sickness. That's weird. Weird because Jesus is telling sickness to stop what it's doing as if it's human. It's like me going up to someone and, who has a cough and going, Leave him! I don't know why I'm British. You're hurting the person's throat and making it so others may get sick. It's kind of like that. I don't know where that came from. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus rebukes sickness as if it's a person. It's not that... Like a doctor, he gave medication and over time it healed the person. No, he told the fever to leave and it did. Now, I think the reason behind it is, is that sickness is a result of sin or evil entering our world. So for Jesus to rebuke it wouldn't be that surprising. But it also shows a couple of things of Jesus, about Jesus. He has power to heal people of sickness because he is compassionate and he's in control over sickness. That's a part of Jesus' ministry, what he does, and that's the impression we get here. But is that the purpose of why Jesus is here? To be a doctor, to heal people. Healing does happen in our world, but there's a danger I want you to be aware of. And I'm going to use the phrase here and now to explain the dangers from here on out. There is a gospel out there that claims you will have, here and now, health and wealth if you trust in God. 
the prosperity gospel. This is not the gospel. Those who preach, teach, and believe it can miss that the blessings of wealth and health are meant to point to Christ as the generous giver so that we are thankful to him. God may bless you by healing you of sickness or giving you wealth. But if that doesn't point you to being thankful to Christ, then the danger is of being sucked into a here and now way of thinking. But is Jesus' purpose to be a healer? The short answer? No. We'll come to a full answer after the second possibility. So the second possibility is, is he here to exercise demons? Let's have a look at verses 33 to 36. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And then go down to verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. What do we make of that? We don't see demon possession nowadays. Is it myth? Well, this account actually shows us verifiable tests to prove that it's real and historical. Verse 31 gives us a location, Capernaum, Galilee. Verse 32 gives us a bit of Jewish tradition, the Sabbath day. And also gives us a place of worship in verses 3 and 38. The synagogue, people's names slash titles are also used in here. Jesus of Nazareth, a name that gives where Jesus is from. And also Simon in relation to his mum-in-law. So here we have a few proofs that we can test. But demons, prove that. Demons are a funny one, as we don't necessarily see it nowadays. And I wonder if that's because, one, we have the things of here and now that actually draw us away from the reality of God. That is, we have temptations of lust, money, power, material possessions. Whereas the people back in those times, and even in Eastern cultures and third world countries today, are more attuned to the spiritual things. So things like witch doctor, things like voodoo, they're practiced in the world. That's the first point. Second point, because Jesus is God, it would make sense that there would be not just physical hostility from people towards him, but also spiritual opposition. We've already seen the devil tempt Jesus earlier in this chapter. It's not like it ended there and Jesus was free to do his ministry. Demons would have wanted to challenge Jesus heaps so as to catch him off guard and draw people away from God. And thirdly, it shouldn't be much of a surprise when we talk about demons because as Christians we also talk about God. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about angels. This isn't meant to freak you out. And I'm guessing you're not freaked out because 
We have books, movies, TV shows on vampires, supernatural events, ghosts. Something I've been reflecting on is we generally tend to enjoy that kind of thing. We're drawn to those things and see it as entertainment. I hate some of these things. Uh, I remember when I was in college and I was doing film score writing, we had to watch these different genres. And I remember, uh, not that I'm recommending this, watching the movie, the original one, The Exorcist. Oh, I thought that was like a pitch or something. <laughs> I couldn't stomach watching that movie. Um, but many people in there, while we're watching this movie, taking down notes on the score and like all this stuff, I'm like going, I've got to listen, got to kind of watch, freaking out. But the funny thing was, these guys were laughing at it. I'm not usually good with horror movies. I usually walk out with a limp because I've jumped out of my seat too hard. <laughs> but this movie was more of a testing grounds to Christianity for me. I wonder where the people were laughing because we have desensitized ourselves from the things that, and we regard them as myth. Therefore, enjoying it as a form of entertainment. But these things are such a reality for so many people. Now, there's probably a few responses that I could go into, but I don't think I'll have heaps of time. So maybe come and chat to me later about that kind of thing if you have any questions. But what we do want to look at here is the response the demons have to Jesus. So verse 34. Have a look there. Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We see that in this instance, the demon says four things, two of which are tiles of Jesus, two are questions. There are three things I want to focus on, and the third one is actually found in verse 41, Son of God. So the three things are the titles of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is the first one. It's used here like when we use our last name to determine which Josh, which Jordan, which Amy, or whomever we're talking about. That's how it's kind of used here. Holy One of God is a title that suggests that Jesus is holy, that is set apart for the work, the ministry of God. Son of God is at one level the relational status of Jesus to God, but on a grander scale, it was what was said of the prophesied, the messianic king. So if you're taking notes, jot down Psalm 2.7 or 2 Samuel 7.14-16. Messiah just means Christ, which means king, God's king. Now, notice how Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't accept them and is just like, yep, you nailed it, that's who I am. He rebukes them and keeps them silent because they knew he was the Christ. Is he contradicting himself here? No. I take it that the demons are doing two things. One, insulting Jesus as if they had power over him. And I kind of get that from the laughter, or in some versions it says, um, leave us alone, that they kind of say in verse 34. So I reckon they're insulting as if they're going, we have power, leave us alone. And also, too, trying to tempt Jesus with establishing a kingdom here and now. 
So is Jesus here to exercise demons? The short answer, no. I think that will become more apparent as we read what Jesus has to say. But one thing before we come to that, let's quickly look at the response of the people and the impression they get. So look down at verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. The people who are gaining from Jesus' healing are trying to keep him from leaving. Why is that? I take it they are benefiting from it. They don't want to lose someone with this power. They are amazed at his teaching in verse 36 and also to the power and authority that Jesus has over demons. But notice that Jesus is seeking to get away from the people and there's a reason why. You can imagine it, can't you? So I remember a time when on early morning TV, I'm not so sure anymore, there were these guys who promised to heal people of sickness and deformities and people were just flocking to them. They wanted to be healed. Wouldn't you if you knew that these people had the power? Let's have a look at why Jesus says he's here. Verses 42 to 44. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. There it is. Why Jesus is here. To preach the good news of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We actually need to look at an earlier chunk in this passage that we didn't actually get read. So turn up Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He quotes from Isaiah 61 and he says that he is to preach the good news for the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, proclaim recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So we could misunderstand this here and take it to mean physically, here and now, Jesus will accomplish those things. And it looks like he does. He does heal people. He releases the oppressed from, the, from demons. But it wouldn't make sense to preach good news to the poor. Can you imagine that? It's going to be good. It'd make more sense to go, here's some money. But that's not what it says. I want to say that the passage is actually talking about spiritual reality rather than here and now reality. Quickly, is it wrong to want to look after the poor and want those things for people? No. Jesus does those things, but he wants people to trust in him and to follow him. 
He realises that people are spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually oppressed. And what he's proclaiming is God's answer of salvation, which is himself to those people. Here's where I want us to lift our eyes to what Jesus says earlier, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's God with his people in perfect relationship. That comes about from what Jesus does further on in this book. He dies, then rises again, then goes into heaven. If it was all about the here and now, why did Jesus die? Why did he rise again? Why did he go into heaven? Here's the answer. And this is the true gospel. He died so that we can have a relationship with God. He rose again so we could have hope of having life forever with God. He went to heaven because he's reigning as king and giving us time to either help further that kingdom, his kingdom, by telling this gospel to people so that they can also have this good news. Or it's giving us time to turn back to him before he returns. If you want in on this, chat to someone about it. A friend, a leader, myself, Jono, Penny, whoever. The critical thing for you to get is whether the impression that Jesus presents of himself is true. For us who believe this, here's some further applications. We live for that world, that kingdom to come. Um, if you want to know what it looks like, Jot down Revelation 21, 1 to 8. It's a good insight. We live for the world, the kingdom to come. Therefore, get into ministry that proclaims the kingdom of God. In any ministry we are doing, we need to be proclaiming the kingdom of God. In those ministries, whatever they are, let's do it joyfully. As if we are, as we are serving, not as if, as we are serving to glorify God. Let's do ministry to edify, that is to encourage each other so that we are pointing to Christ. Let's, let's fix our eyes on the kingdom to come. Let's do it because we want to see people enter that kingdom. We want to see people in that kingdom praising God. Let's do it because of what Christ did for us. The perfect example of what ministry is. If we live for the here and now, we'll never have the desires for the kingdom. What was Jesus here for? preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Are you on board with that? I'll finish with one verse and then I'll pray. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17 says, 
Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a heart for those who are sick, who are poor, who are hurt. And Lord, we want to see those injustices dealt with, but more importantly, Lord, we want to see people spiritually right with you because that is of eternal worth. We pray that we would be people who live for the kingdom to come, look forward, looking forward to the kingdom where there is no more crying, no more hurt, no more pain, no more sickness. We pray that we would remember the example of Jesus and what he did to bring about that kingdom. And Lord, we pray we would praise you forever. Amen.